episode of Free Lunch by the Peak. I'm your host, Taylor Scollin, and we have a special holiday episode today. We have, as always, Sarah Bartnika with us. Hello, Sarah. Hello, everyone. But we also have a special guest, and it's Brett Chang, host of our daily news podcast, The Peak Daily. Hello, Brett. Hey, Taylor. Hey, Sarah. Great to be with you. I love the podcast crossover. This is exciting. It's like when you see like the Marvels and the DC universes collide in like exactly. an Avengers, uh, you know, the 12th sequel of the Avengers. That's what I'm, I'm seeing right now. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's like how you don't see like the morning talk show hosts in the same room as the evening talk show hosts ever. Or should I say news anchors? That would be the best way to put it. So on this episode, we're going to be doing a sort of year in review, uh, Spotify wrapped of Canadian and global business news, walking through some of the big trends, predictions for next year, things to watch, the things that we thought were most important and maybe too covered, overly covered this year, and getting all of our takes on what those are. So one thing we always like to do at the peak is highlight Canadian businesses that are doing interesting things. So Brad, I want to start with you. Can you give us one Canadian business to watch in 2023 and tell us a little bit about it, explain why people should care? Sure. So there's been a lot of talk about supply chains, how supply chains are broken and that we need to fix them. One company I think is doing a neat job at that is called Bolt logistics and so they're based in toronto they're pretty big now they raised you know a couple hundred million dollars including an investment from ikea they know a thing or two about supply chain and basically what they're doing is they're taking 3pl and so it's the distribution of products so a company will say hey i've got all these products i'm going to ship it to you and then when a customer orders it you ship it out and they'll do the last mile delivery of that so they have a fleet of what they're developing these electric vehicles made in quebec uh, from a different quebec ev company and they're doing the last mile delivery of them. And then they're doing general 3PL, where they give them off to FedEx and DHL as well. But they're infusing tech in all of this. It's really neat. It's a big, big company. They just raised a big round in a down market for tech. And so I'm pretty excited about them. And I think they're doing really neat stuff. And it's, it's definitely one to watch. I think if you can perform well in this market, you're going to perform well for a lot longer. So I, I, I'd bet on them. Sarah, one company to watch. Okay, well, there's a ton of companies I could focus on here. There is Xanadu. There's the Canadian quantum computing company that I think is kind of going to put us on the map. There's also Goodleaf, which is the vertical farming company whose technology could kind of very well be the future of Canadian food supply. But Zellers is the obvious choice for me this year, guys. And I'm going to tell you why that is. This company, as most people know, kind of started to go under nearly a decade ago, and it's coming roaring back under the close supervision of the Hudson Bay Company. I think it's a big job to take on Amazon and Walmart, but I hope they're the brand to do it. Their plan, it seems like, is half e-commerce, something that the Bay is kind of still figuring out. Uh, and the other half of it is kind of tapping into the, the nostalgia of the brand. So ultimately, I think Canadians are going to need another low-cost shopping destination. And on a personal level, oh, and on a personal level, I mean, let's get serious. We also need our own national department store. So I think it's just a sense of national pride. I don't think Bolt Renfrew is going to be the brand to kind of get us there. Um, and so I think we we need the Bay and we need Zellers to step it up this year. And to Brett's point, uh, this is going to be the year. This is going to be the year that it that they you know that they figure it out or they don't. 
That's a very optimistic note, Sarah. I I, I don't know if I agree uh, that Zellers is the save-all for the Hudson's Bay Company, but I appreciate the Hail Mary. It, you know, they just picked it up out of nowhere, and they said, we're bringing it back. But I, unless they bring back the restaurant, I think it's a failed effort. That's my own personal opinion. Not to get political. So you, you can't bet against the Hudson's Bay Company. You know, they've been around longer than we have. So it's, I, I believe they have, that, they have that going for them. I believe it's the oldest company in the world. Like the oldest still was- operating company in the world. Well, there you go. Okay, my business to watch, General Fusion. Um, I'm a big nuclear head. Uh, and General Fusion is a Canadian company based out of British Columbia. Founded quite a while ago, 2002, um, but has grown to 200 employees working on fusion technology. And if you haven't been following the fusion news, uh, which we've been covering a little bit at the peak, there was just a big breakthrough in fusion technology at a lab in the United States. Uh, For the first time ever, they managed to get net energy gain from a fusion reaction, which has been a big scientific milestone uh, that people have been working towards for a long time now. Now, General Fusion's technology is a little bit different from what they used at that lab, but they're a serious player. They've raised $430 million in funding, um, and they are currently building a full-scale fusion demonstration plant in partnership with the UK government that they claim will be powering homes by 2030, which is, if successful, would be uh, the first fusion plant to actually be used in in the real world. But I guess my question also uh, stemming from this is, why are we not partnering with them to do this? Why do they have to do this with the UK government? You know, I don't want to turn this into a what grinds my gears segment, but I feel like this was a, a big missed opportunity by our government to build some of this technology ourselves with a domestic company. So I've looked into this, Taylor. I also consider myself to be a nuclear head. In my, in my mind, I thought the name for that was Warhead, uh, like the candies with like the, the oh, bomb yeah. blown out of their head. But I, I didn't like the negative connotation to it, and so no. I killed it. But I looked into this, and one of the reasons why General Fusion says that they have to do this is because all of the best nuclear researchers are at the University of Cambridge, which is, is that right? interesting. Yeah, so that they have the leading nuclear researchers. And so they're building it in England because they think that's the only way that they can get the best and brightest to work on this. But I agree with you. That shouldn't stop us. You know, there like if there was uh, a will, there is a way. And Burnaby, not the worst place in the world to live. Bring them over. Offer them something. Yeah, I think we could probably bring all those people over here. And there should definitely be at least an effort to do so. So I agree with you on that. All right. Good picks, everyone. Let's move on to Round number two, trend to watch in 2023. Give me one big trend in business, the economy, tech, that we should be paying attention to in the coming year. Sarah, we'll start with you. Okay, I can I can start, and I'm going to keep it short here, but I think the EU is just going to continue its run on big tech. They've been the only kind of jurisdiction in the world to lay down the law, and think I, I think 
set a path for what the rest of the Western world could potentially do in the upcoming year. Um, their ambitions are big, uh, particularly those under the EU's new Digital Services Act. Um, it's all very, it's all very grand and it sounds great, right? They're aiming to tackle just bad behavior online, whether it's kind of misogyny, whether it's protecting children, stopping fraud, um, curbing disinformation, and they're kind of uh, using the internet to protect the integrity of kind of democratic elections as well. And so we've seen a variety of different fines being uh, slapped down on big tech. And I think it's something that we'll continue to see in the EU and what and potentially see the Western world. And, and what I mean by that is obviously the US and Canada maybe kind of pick up the pace on that as well. Perhaps a Twitter ban in the waiting in the wings if they decide to crack down on Elon's new policies. Brett, trend to watch in 2023. Well, there's a lot going on in the world these days. So there's many trends to keep your eye on, and it's tough to pick just one. But what I would say is that anybody who's used that chat GPT tool, where they've uh, asked it to write for them a brief essay on the future of EU regulations on tech, and it's spitting out for them, you know, 500 words of like prose that you couldn't even write when you were 23 and in university. If you've used that, you know the magic behind this generative AI. Uh, we've seen it before with the Dolly, where you just type in a prompt and it gives you a picture that's almost exactly what you would imagine it to look like. We're seeing it now with ChatGPT, and there's a number of advances that are expected over the next six, 12 months. And it's moving at such speed that I think it's going to be really disruptive. And this is going to be the breakout year for it. This is where we're going to actually start to see what impact that this type of technology is going to have on tech, but more importantly, on the economy at large, because it really does disrupt a lot of jobs. And so anyways, definitely one to watch. I know we're going to be covering it a lot here at the peak, but it's, uh, it's super interesting. And I think what's the coolest about it is it feels like magic. It doesn't feel real. This is something that you've only seen in sci-fi movies, and it's finally coming to be, and to see it happen in real time, it's a pretty interesting time to be alive. So I would say that's, that's the one big trend that I think is, is worth watching. We're going to continue to cover it in the long term. And in the long term, like you mentioned, I think the biggest opportunities are yet to be discovered. And it's also interesting how, I mean, we're gearing up for the editorial team to kind of cover the the issues that come at the gate, right? Right now we're seeing its application primarily in like the experimentation and the curiosity of like individual users, right? Like getting it to write a sales email, getting it to answer a question on an exam. But what's going to also happen is that the floodgates are going to open for these copyright, legal and ethical issues. But I don't think it's going to slow down the capabilities of the technology and it's going to extend probably in the next year way beyond what most of us can imagine. You know what's not going to happen? It's not going to write our daily newsletter. I can promise you that. Never. And so no we're worried. Th this is a hundred percent. It's a hundred percent human operation. No robots here. All I can say is that it's a good thing that this stuff did not exist when I was in university because I would have learned, I think, even less than I managed to in my time there by just having ChatGPT spit out my essays the night before they were due. Very have disruptive you in used the education it? space. Have either of you used it in the sense of like, have, has it written an email for you? Have you used it in a work context yet? I wrote my Christmas message to Taylor this year. No offense, but, you know, I was busy. Uh, That's why it was more touching and heartfelt than yeah. usual. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on on that note. Uh, I got my trend to watch gene editing. 
gene editing, I think, is going to be a big deal next year and in the years to come. Uh, this is the technology where scientists are able to modify very, very tiny parts of uh, genes in order to produce certain uh, outcomes. So there was a recent example of a British teenager whose leukemia, which was uh, previously thought to be uh, largely incurable, was sent into remission through the application of uh, gene editing technology called base editing. Um, and the mechanics of how that works are a little bit complicated. We don't need to get into it. You can look it up if you're interested in reading more about it. But uh, this is a, a major breakthrough in terms of the science and also in medicine. I think it has the potential to um, create treatments or unlock treatments for a lot of diseases that were thought to be incurable before. Um, also has some potential downsides, like most technologies. Uh, raises a lot of issues around who's going to have access to this gene editing technology. Will it be only those who can afford it, who can then biologically enhance themselves in ways that other people can't? Uh, these are all going to be very thorny, tricky issues to get into. So I think it's something that we should be, we should have on our radar for sure. I'd pay anything okay. to gene edit my way to 6'2". Oh, tell me about it. I know you Another. really care about that, Mr. 511. But yeah, I, I, you know, the gene editing stuff, I absolutely agree, is a big deal. Uh, I, if I remember correctly... It's six feet, by the way. Just to be clear, it's six, to, it's six he, feet. He has to correct the record every time. Look, uh, we'll let the people decide. Everyone knows 511 doesn't exist. Facts, yeah. facts matter. Facts, you might see him on Bloor Street. You might see him on Bloor Street and you can decide for yourself. But the, the gene editing stuff is a big deal. And if I remember correctly, the mRNA vaccines, that's effectively what they do. Would you include mRNA in this gene editing category? Now, I can't speak to whether MR, the differences between the mRNA and the gene editing, perhaps it is a, a subcategory of it, but I don't want to step too far out of my, my depth here. Um, but the mRNA is also a, a major development. And there was all, there's a, some work, I think, being done on a universal flu vaccine that's powered by mRNA, uh, which seems to be showing some promise. So I don't know. We could see a lot more um, medical treatments emerging in the coming years because of this, which is unusual because it's been a while since we've had major breakthroughs like this, like penicillin level breakthroughs on medicine. I think it's great that you're shining a light on the uh, on the unique use, use cases of this type of technology because people are pretty riled up around, you know, around the uh, elites being able to one day, you know, change the color of their baby's eyes and things like that too. So there are real use cases for this that are super important and super important in the fight against rare diseases and great to to highlight that. Yeah. If you haven't seen Gattaca, maybe give that movie a watch over the holidays and that'll shed some light on some of the uh, gene editing issues that could arise in the future. Uh, okay. Moving on to round three, unpopular predictions. Give us a prediction that cuts against the conventional wisdom of what the next year is going to look like. Brett, we'll start with you. So, you know, there's a lot of doom and gloom in the news these days. Uh, you know, I, I, Taylor, it's worth, I like Taylor's uh, uh, gene editing uh, pr prediction because that is really positive stuff. 
that could solve and cure big diseases and have a huge impact on all of our quality of lives. Of course, there's some risks as well, but ultimately, I think it'll net out being more positive than negative, just like I think the internet has netted out at being more positive than negative. Well, there's obviously major problems with the internet. And so uh, my my, uh, unpopular prediction, it's not necessarily unpopular, it's just a prediction. I think it's a prediction that most people don't have, but I think that the war in Ukraine is probably coming to an end I think there's enough going on in the world that uh, there is going to be a push for some type of peace resolution between the Ukrainians and the Russians. And this is going to come on all sides. You know, the the war in Ukraine was never really a war just between Ukraine and Russia. It was always a war of competing global powers. And if you look at where everything is netting out right now, where China is trying to get back on track with their economy, they're opening up, getting rid of COVID-0. The U.S. at the same time also has their own concerns when it comes to the economy and the drag on the supply chain and on resources that comes from the war in Ukraine is putting a lot of pressure on both sides to say, hey, let's find some type of resolution here. And I think that that's ultimately where we're going to get to sooner than later, which is both sides forcing Russia and Ukraine to come to the table and ultimately coming up with a resolution that is satisfactory to both of them. My personal opinion, it's a productive thing. I don't think anybody likes war. Nobody wants war to happen. And if we can find some type of peaceful diplomatic solution to this conflict, that's probably in everyone's best interest. What do you think is going to be the the aha moment for, for Vladimir Putin? The aha moment will likely be when China says, uh, no more products for you unless you finish this. Uh, I would say that's probably the aha moment. Uh, China, okay, you know, it, it's... The, the China, China. It, it's an interesting time in geopolitics. I, you know, I know this isn't a geopolitics podcast, but there is elements of it for sure. And uh, if you look right now, the leader who's coming out on top at the end of the year here is probably President Biden. And this was not expected to be the case. I think many people a year or two years ago thought this was going to be the Chinese century and that China would just kind of continue its long march, for lack of a better term, long march towards progress and hegemony. But that clearly isn't the case. They were held back by COVID zero. They made some strategic missteps. And now Joe Biden's coming out on top. And so he's got uh, he's got a lot of leverage in this whole whole situation. I also have a, a somewhat optimistic prediction. So I'll run with that next. I think that the at least the North American central banks are going to uh, nail the soft landing that they've been touting. I think that uh, the United States will not have a recession and Canada might have a recession, but it will be a mild one. And I'll explain my thinking there briefly. So uh, I think we're in a slightly worse position than the Americans. Um, our wage growth has been has been more limited. There's a number of factors there, uh, but the main thing is really our dependence on the real estate sector and construction, which is very sensitive to interest rate hikes. Uh, it's a big driver in our economy. I think that will be uh, that we're already seeing how that's being uh, slowed by uh, the central banks' interest rate hikes, um, and we are also carrying a lot more household debt than the Americans. So that's going to weigh on on Canadians as well as those interest rates goes up, that debt gets more expensive, less money to spend in the economy, more likely to have a recession. But at the same time, we do have almost a million job vacancies in, uh, you know, heading into 2023. And that's compared to around half a million in 2019 before the pandemic began. So there's a lot of slack 
in the labor market when people, if there is a downturn, if people lose their jobs, it's going to be a lot easier for them to find another one than if they'd lost their job in 2019. And if you go back to the most recent recession we had in 2008, and you look at how many jobs were lost over the course of that entire downturn, it's around 400,000. So there's some evidence in recent history to suggest that we're going to have still um, fairly low unemployment, 2019 levels of unemployment. Uh, and I think that that will cushion the blow of higher interest rates and keep the economy on, on fairly steady footing. So heading into 2024, we'll be in a good position. I like your positive outlook, but, and I think this is what you're neglecting to mention, but because you can't, it's an unknown unknown, but it's black swan events that really produce these severe economic downturns. And what I worry about is that there's a number of different or big issues in the world right now that at any point could flip. And then that would, if you know, if nothing happens, I think you're probably right. But my primary concern is that all it takes is one big event, whether it's, you know, like we talk about, like, for example, the solvency of Credit Suisse, you know, that's being drawn into question of late. Now, if Credit Suisse is insolvent and goes bankrupt, that's one of the what, top 10 financial institutions in the world that has a big issue. And there's a cascading effect to that. And so there's a number of issues like that that I think could really turn that prediction on its head. But I like the optimism. So kudos to that. Uh, and we'll just have to see. We'll look back on this in a year, and you'll either look like a prophet or you'll look just dead wrong. And I, I for one, hope I hope that you look like a prophet. That's what I'm rooting for. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously there's a bunch of things that could go wrong. Um, and especially as monetary policy gets tighter, we're starting to see some things in the global, different global markets creak and in crypto break. Uh, I think the question is, have we, do we have enough um, slack in those systems to weather those, weather those hikes? I'm betting that we do, uh, but I could certainly be wrong. We'll see. There's nothing wrong with being an optimist, right? Like that whole group of economists that were talking about transitory inflation, you know, just about a year ago, like, yes, that was wrong. But didn't we have such a peaceful few months while those conversations were happening? Like, I'm all for it. I'm all for the soft landing. I am down with that discussion well, and we'll just see what happens. What is what is the definition of transitory? I saw the new inflation numbers are out today. We're recording December 21st and uh, it's coming down. Inflation's coming down. <laughs> The plan in, my in my opinion, the best thing about the 1990s to early 2000s was that nothing was going wrong. You could just kind of live above it all and keep going and things were all good until something broke. And then you realize that everything was wrong. And that <laughs> is how I feel right now, where it's like uh, you're starting to see it creak a bit with the tech downturn in particular. But I just know that there is I look around and I'm like, there's, there's war in Europe. And there's like, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia is mad at America and Credit Suisse has these problems and we don't have enough uh, copper and I, all these like things going on around the world. AI, disruptive AI. And I'm like, I don't know, something there's something going on under the surface there that I'm I'm not smart enough to figure out what it is, but I just see it. And if if one of these things goes bad, it's just it, it, it could become a real mess. So but I, I, I again, I don't want to be I. I I, I led this off saying I was the optimistic one, and now I'm sounding like the pessimistic one. We'll revisit 12 months from now. Sarah, what's your prediction? 
the prediction goes around consumer spending and the conventional wisdom that it challenges is that people want things cheaper, faster. We all not know that to be true. That's why Amazon is so successful. That's why Walmart is kind of figuring out this year because they're able to deliver on that promise as well. But I think consumers are a little bit consumed out. I think they've been doing a little bit too much consuming. And that's not a direct quote from Tiff Macklin, but I know that he's on the same page as me. And what I think is going to come out of it is that, well, I guess first things first, I mean, look at our apartments. There only is so much space. I think we've bought too much. If you think people are looking around their spaces, they're like, holy cow, I have bought so much in this pandemic and I'm going to dial back. And that's good for bringing inflation down. But I think what's going to come out of that as well is a real need for, you know, quality, authentic types of products. I think people are going to be a little bit more intentional with the things that they buy. I think they're going to strive for that high, high level of quality. And that really is just my optimistic hope because I really want the companies that are delivering true value to people to do well, right? Like I want the sheens of the world gone and they probably won't be because they're setting up shop in, you know, in in Europe and they're expanding out West too. But it's like, that's the, the shift that I'm hoping comes from this and definitely, definitely goes against conventional wisdom. Bearish on Sheehan then. It was my understanding that we weren't supposed to get political on this podcast. And then now I hear you attacking Sheehan like that. And you've just alienated half our, you just, you just alienated half our audience. Unfortunately, our sponsor for the episode is Sheehan. <laughs> so we'll need, to do, we'll need to get that read in at some point. But, yeah. Okay, uh, good predictions. We will revisit these uh, in a year and award our cheers and jeers to those who got it right and those who were a little bit off the mark. Now, nice. let's create some more fodder for that uh, segment. Next year with round four, Macro Bullseye macro bullseye i want to know what you think the inflation rate will be in december 2023 and what will the bank of canada's policy rate be and we'll revisit this in a year and i'm going to award the winner a a prize we should preface this by saying that the salaried economist at the bank of canada would not have also known this answer a year ago. So let's be lenient in the way that we revisit this, please. Well, with that attitude, I don't think we have any chance of getting getting (laughs) it right. Yeah, well, I'm going to try. Sarah, let's start with you. I can go first. Yes. Um, I think the inflation rate will hit 4.5%. That is an elementary school calculation that takes into account, you know, the 1.3 percentage points that it's all in in the last six months. So it's one of those things where, you know, this thing is going to start to taper off. We've seen some, you know, meaningful movement. But at the end of the day, it's unfortunate, but it's a small percentage of the economy that's doing a lot of the spending. And things need to get so bad that that subset of the population kind of starts to to dial back. So I think it's going to stay at 4.5. And, you know, we all know that's not great because Tiff Macklin is, is very, very dedicated to hit this 2% inflation target. So I think it's going to be a bit above that. Okay, 4.5 for Sarah. Brett? I look to the experts. I Similar to you to you folks, I, I look and I listen uh, at the experts in the field. Bill Ackman, famed hedge fund investor. Sometimes he's really wrong. Like when he said recently that he thought that Sam Bankman-Fried did nothing illegal. But sometimes he's very right, like COVID-19. 
And so I, I looked at his analysis, and I think he makes a good point here, which is that just because of what's happening in the world, that we can no longer expect that the Fed has a target of 2% inflation, that it with uh, the cutoff from Russian oil, uh, just uh, with now uh, more expensive goods coming from China due to COVID zero policies and friend shoring and just a further break in global trade, that we can no longer expect that 2% inflation is the target for the Federal Reserve. So I actually think that that's, that's correct. I think, in, I think inflation will probably stick around 4%, uh, and that'll be on the low end now. Like I think the target probably should be 4%. The interest rate, I don't think there's a lot more appetite to hike it up, but I think there is probably more appetite to keep it where it is. And so 4.25 is probably where I would I would keep it at, which is what it's currently. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I, again, I, I'm not I'm not an expert. Uh, I don't pretend to be one on podcasts, uh, but I'm I'm uh, I'm excited to see where we end up. But I'm going to go four percent inflation, four point two five percent interest rate, and uh, let's see how it goes. Sarah, did you want to give your interest rate prediction? We didn't get that from you. Yeah, I, I will say it's a hot take to to say that they're just going to move the goalpost. Uh, I like that idea. Um, and I'm going to listen to the conventional experts um, who are saying that rates won't pass 5% next year. So a little higher than you, Brad, but I think they'll fall a little bit under that. That I think we have, you know, two to three ultra mini quarter percentage point hikes in store for us next year. That's what I'm seeing. So are you saying 4.75? 4.75 to 4.75 to 4.75 to 5%, yes. All right. Okay. Uh, you know, I just think it's good to put our put some skin in the game here. You know, anyone can interview people. We're yep. the only ones in the game who are making uh, predictions 12 months out that are completely impossible to call correctly. But I'm going to say inflation, 2.5% within the 2 well, to 3% range. And I'm going to say interest rates at four percent i i like that you're making you're taking big shots here you know you're calling audacious goals uh but yeah we'll see i'm uh i don't think that's right but hey (laughs) (laughs) we'll see the metaverse proponents would argue that ready player one is the more idealized version of what they're looking to create so I'll, i'll do the well both sides here. Okay, that's good. Uh, it's good to get balanced. So, Reed Snow Crash and Ready Player One, I suppose. I can't recommend that personally, having not read it. <laughs> there you go. Two metaverse. What I'm hearing is that Taylor is optimistic about everything but the metaverse in 2023. I'm definitely not a metaverse guy. Not metaverse at all. Guy. Sarah? My pick takes a step back from the news cycle entirely. In fact, I think it could help a lot of people deal with the news cycle. Um, I will personally be retreating, you know, into a hole over the holiday break and kind of reemerge in the new year. And for those who want to do the same thing, I would recommend How to Think Like a Roman Emperor. Uh, It is a book by Donald Robinson, who studies the Stoic philosophy of Marcus Aurelius, who I'm sure many listeners have heard about. Um, I think it's a great introduction to stoic thinking it's good for leaders and it's good for everyday people like i mentioned who kind of just want better tools to feel like they can respond to all the doomy and gloomy events that are happening in the world right now so this book kind of drives home um you know that we have 
very limited control over things that are external to us. Uh, but, you know, controlling our response to that is, uh, is, is one way that can offer you some reprieve. All right, Brett, your <laughs> recommendation. So uh, I, I'm going through, I'm looking at my Audible right now to pick a, a recommendation. Okay, um, you're supposed to come prepared. Yeah, well, I, I came prepared, but then I heard such great answers. I wanted to step up the game. I wanted to make sure that I was giving you my absolute top recommendation for the year. And I'm going to make it relevant to the audience. I, I read a lot of business books, but that's not particularly relevant to most people. So I would say my top recommendation for uh, political economy reads this year is uh, a book called The World for Sale by Javier Blass mm, and Jack Farchi. And it's a history of commodities trading which sounds very boring but is very much in the spotlight right now now these are the guys who were guys and by the way i say guys it was just guys uh but these are the guys who were going around the world to all these places that were discovering these natural resources deposits over the past 50 years and they were creating markets for them so they were the ones that were trading them from lip trading oil from libya to the uk from iran post and pre-Shah to the rest of the world. And they were the ones who were the in-between middlemen that were willing to do anything, say anything, break any law to get access to these resources and to create that market. It's a thrilling read. There's, uh, it's really filled with colorful characters. And I think it provides a lot of context to the current situation we're in, really with regards to the resources crisis that we have, whether it's cutting off of Russian natural gas or not enough uh, copper for batteries or whatever it might be, it puts that all, it, it really does highlight that and, and shows you some of the strengths and the weaknesses of the commodities market. So I, I, that's my recommendation. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you all for participating in this. Um, Brett, where can people find you on a regular basis uh, if they want to continue to listen to, uh, to you on their podcasts? So the Peak Daily, it's a podcast we put out Monday through Friday. And every day we do a seven-minute breakdown of the top Canadian and global business, finance, and tech stories. You can find that on your podcast app of choice. And in fact, Taylor, I believe this is going to be cross-promoted on the Peak Daily stream as well. So for all the Peak Pals out there, hello. Thank you for listening. And Taylor, you should also plug where they can find you guys too. Yeah, of course. So uh, if you want to listen to Free Lunch... By the peak, we do, Sarah and I do deep dive interviews with subject matter experts on big issues in the economy, business, tech. Uh, we've got a couple great episodes up already, one with Sean Spear on whether Canada should do more manufacturing, make more things here at home. Another one with Brendan Bernard, a senior economist at Indeed on the state of the labor market, what's happening in the job market right now. We're about to have another episode up with Mike Moffat on uh, why Canada's housing market is so out of control, so crazy, and what we can do about it. So a few great episodes for you to choose from there. Pick the one that's most interesting to you, give it a shot, and you can find us by searching for Free Lunch by the Peak wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and I think we can leave it there for now. So thank you all for joining us. Uh, I'm Taylor Scollin. Thank you, Brett. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, have a happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and we will see you in the new year.